You ever feel like life threw you off track, even if it was because of your own choices? Romans 11 shows us how our detours in life are when we veer off God's path and off of God's heart. But guess what? God's purpose for us stays solid even if we take unexpected turns. Imagine it, a purpose so resilient that even though we wander, God is crafting new paths to bring us back to himself. But here's a caution. Ignoring those new paths that God makes could lead us to peril. God can make a thousand pathways, but we have to choose to take the way that he's paving. Are you ready to realign with his purpose, follow his guidance, and unveil his magnificent plan? Well, join us in this episode. God's resistance. Elijah thought Israel blew it. He thought Israel blew it so bad that he was the only one that was left that wanted to walk with God. Now that may feel that, that that may be very similar to some feelings you have. You look around at American culture, you look around at our society and you think, God, is there anyone else that really loves you that wants to walk with you? Lord, am I the only one in my town? Am I the only one in my city? Lord, I try and talk with others and it seems like there's not a real desire to walk with you, but there's a point going on here. So let's back up and, and we'll unpack this. We'll go to verse uh, one here in Romans 11. I say then, Hath God cast away his people? God forbid, for I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. He says, has God cast away his people? No, there's a plan and a purpose. God already knew what Israel was going to do. And because of that, God has made other plans, contingency plans, because he knew that their will was going to be set against his absolute and perfect will. And therefore, in his foreknowledge, was able to recreate different pathways to try and fulfill things through the Jews that he said he wanted to and promised. And he's doing all this while they have a free will to, to choose, even rejecting him. But that doesn't stop God because God is so sovereign, so powerful, that in spite of our failings and our rejectings, he can still make things go. The grand plan of his redemption move in a certain way. God hasn't cast away his people. And Paul says, in fact, listen, I'm an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm one of those people. I'm I'm a seed of, of the tribe of Benjamin. So he hasn't cast me off. I found this Messiah. I love him. I'm walking with him. I have faith in him. He's saying I'm living proof that he hasn't cast off his people. But then in verse two, God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew, which I was just talking about. <clears throat> and he says, know ye not what the scripture saith of Elias? How he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, and here's where the, the groan of his heart comes out. Lord, they have killed thy prophets and dig down thine altars, and I am left alone and they seek my life. But what saith the answer of God unto him? Let's stop for a minute. Here, Elijah is trying to follow God with all of his heart. And God's people have just almost wholesale rejected him and turned their own way, done their own thing, gone after other gods. And it seems like Elijah is one man that wants to serve God, and he doesn't know of any others that really want to serve God. So he gets in a place of despair. Sounds very familiar to the day in which we're living in right now, huh? Who really wants to serve God? Lord, it's just me. Look at these ones that say they love you. Treating your prophets poorly, tearing down your altars, ruining all the true devotion of God. Where are the other believers? I'm the only one left. And those ones who say they love you, they're seeking my life, God. This is how Elijah is praying. But what does God say in answer to Elijah? He says in verse four, I have reserved to myself 
7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Does this mean that God just arbitrarily chose a certain group of people and said, these I'll keep faithful, but the rest of them, we're just going to, against their will, I'm just going to do this and choose for them that they're going to do wickedly and uh, that they're going to reject me. Doesn't sound like the character of God that we find throughout the entirety of scripture. So it appears to be that it says, listen, Elisha, I have got 7,000 that have not bowed their knee to Baal. I'm protecting and keeping them in the midst of all the craziness and chaos that is going on in the world around you. These people really love God. They won't bow their knee to Baal. And I want to say this message is for you also. There are people around you that do love God, and maybe you don't know who they are yet, and maybe they're even a little farther away from where you live right at the moment, but there are people throughout the United States, believe it or not, that really love Jesus Christ and that are sold out entirely for him. He says, even so then, at this present time also, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. God has people that are real. Even so at this present time, he says, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. What is he talking about? See, if we look back in Israel's history, there was the people who were Israelites solely by blood, but then there were the ones that saw the heart of God through the ceremonial and sacrificial system, and they saw ahead, even though it may be dark, they saw Christ. They saw the Messiah and their faith was in the one to come and sacrifice and offering. You didn't want God, says people in the Old Testament. I believe David, you didn't want that, but you wanted a humble and a contrite heart. Oh, God, you see, there is a there are people that stick out in Israel's history that that got had a depth with God that knew who God was. They were the elect according to grace. All the rest of them were simply just do A, B, C, D, E, appease the wrath of God, and here we go. These said, uh-uh, it's not just that. God is after something much more than just these ceremonial rituals and laws and all this and the sacrifice. There is something that he's after, and it's in the one who's coming, and my faith and my trust is in that one, even though I may not fully understand it. There was an election by grace even back then, and it's the same even here, he's saying, even at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. So Paul was saying, in this present time, amongst the fleshly Israel, there are still a remnant of people that believe on the name of the Lord Jesus. They are the elect according to grace. There's the nationally elect Israel. Those are the ones that God chose to be the vessel to bring this gospel out there. They rejected, failed what God's original intent was for them. But there is an election of grace uh, right in the middle of it, people that have come to the end of themselves, repented, trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ to forgive them of their sins, to cleanse their hearts, to make them a new creation in Christ Jesus, which none of their works would ever have accomplished. None of their sacrificial obedience would have ever accomplished, but their obedience went to this Messiah, to this Christ, and they are the election of grace uh, here that is being spoken about. And then verse six, and if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then is it no more grace? Otherwise, work is no more work. What is he talking about? It sounds like a mouthful, doesn't it? Well, here's what's going on. There were those, and especially we look around the time of Jesus, that prided themselves, having followed the law of God, having followed all of the, the ceremonial things and whatnot, the Pharisees, I'm thinking specifically, and thinking that they were a sweet-smelling savor to God in his nostrils. And you find by Jesus' actions that, in fact, they were a stink 
in God's nostrils. And he had the most problems with those people. Why? Because they were trying to establish their own righteousness, just like we had read about in Romans 10. They, they, they were priding themselves up in their own righteousness as if all of the things that they were doing, obeying the 600 something laws that God had made them so wonderful and the rest of the world a stinking mess. When in fact, we find that that's not God's heart. He was just looking for humble souls that would come to him in repentance and faith. And so if it was by works, then grace wouldn't be available. Nobody would have experienced that grace in the Old Testament nor in the New Testament. There would be no grace. There would be no need for Jesus because we found truth came through Moses and through the law, but grace, or excuse me, the law came by Moses, but grace and truth through Jesus Christ, right? There would be no grace if salvation was by works alone. He already had the law and that sacrificial system and all the things that they were supposed to do, but it wasn't enough. Hebrews even tells us that. If that were enough, there would be no need for this Messiah, for this wonderful sacrifice, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. But there is an election of grace, Elijah. Don't be discouraged. So then it's like Elijah would say something to this effect. I thought God chose Israel. What about them? And it's like the the Jews even around this time. And Paul is thinking, here's what these people might be saying. I thought God chose Israel. What about them if they failed and if they turned in the other direction? What are we to make of them? And this is where we come into verse seven. He says, what then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it and the rest were blinded. What is he talking about? Is it just this unconditionally elect people, this arbitrary selection that God has made, that some go to heaven and some go to hell? No, this is a people that are elected through grace. They've seen the pathway that God brought, and that pathway is faith. Faith that unleashes grace, the power of God to forgive sin, to empower so that we do not live in sin anymore, but we are victorious people where the sacrificial and the Levitical law and all this never had that power. The law never had that power. We read that even earlier in the book of Romans. And so we find here, Israel didn't obtain what they were seeking for, but the election, those that were looking to God for, through Jesus Christ, through faith, by grace, those ones, he says, obtained it and the rest were blinded. What about Israel then? God judges people, even his own people for their actions. And there are consequences for those actions. We can't just, you know, say, oh, I'm a Christian and I sin. So God treats me a little bit more favorably than he would the other ones. Sin is serious no matter which way we take it. And judgment will come even to his own people if they turn their back on God. And we find this here with Israel. So what of Israel then? Well, they're blinded for a time. Verse eight, according as it is written, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see and ears that they should not hear unto this day. And David saith, let their table be made a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a recompense unto them. Let their eyes be darkened that they may not see and bow down their back always. So here we find David giving such crazy judgments that sound, I mean, it's almost scary what he's saying. Is God really going to judge him that way? Yes. And he did. And he has for hundreds of years, thousands of years. We can read it all throughout history. God did do that. But has he cast them off? That answer was no a long time ago. So where do we go from here? Well, when God judges us in this life, does that mean there are no second chances? That is a question that I'd like to bring up here. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid, Paul says. 
but rather through their fall, salvation has come unto the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. So is it all waste that they have fallen? Is it is there no hope? Is there no help? No, God is going to use their rejection of him to bring the gospel to the Gentiles, which his heart was always after them. And those Gentiles are going to receive their Messiah and then provoke them to jealousy because they're going to see in them the fruits of deliverance of true salvation, which is the offer God gave to the Jewish nation first, though they rejected it. So God can use our sins and failures to get a hold of other people. I think about friends that I had that had died, uh, passed away in high school, and it makes you think about eternity, makes you think about uh, what's this life for? What am I going to do in this life? You know, all those kind of things. And it, it, it sobers you up so that you're thinking about the most important things, which is what's going to happen to me when I die. So our sins and failures can still be turned around for good and lead other people to God. We can't forget that. That doesn't mean that's the path we should take, but in spite of it, it can still happen. <clears throat> Verse 12, but uh, now if the fall of them be the riches of the world and the diminishing of them be the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? So if their fall brings so much blessing, how much more blessing if they accept this Messiah? That's essentially what's being said here. For I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify mine office. If by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are my flesh and might save some of them. So he wasn't thinking that the Jews were automatically going to be saved because they were the elect people. He's saying, I want them to be provoked to jealousy through the salvation of the Gentiles and to see that God was after their hearts so that some of them might be saved. Some of them notice that. And it seems to be that the thing that's stopping them from being saved is their own will. Are they going to confess before God, repent and humble themselves, or will they continue with a heart and heart going against him? That's essentially what's happening here. For if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? For if the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root be holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches be broken off, and thou, being a wild olive tree, wert grafted in among them, and with them partakest of the root and fatness of the olive tree, boast not against the branches. But if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. There's nothing wrong with the root. God had planted it in these people. They may have rejected him, but the root still holds. There's a remnant of those that have been there. Then there's also now people that have believed that are Gentiles that have been grafted into this tree. There's only one tree. It's always been that way. There's only one way. There's only one true religion, one true God. And it's always been that way. And though for a time they're broken off because of unbelief, we're grafted in. And how do we treat this? We don't think, well, those uh, God-hating Jews and we just push them off to the side. No. God has a plan to provoke them to jealousy. And he said, don't boast against them because the root bears the branches. And he said, you might be broken off if you boast against them. If your spirit goes in that direction, you might become a Pharisee yourself, which we know that Jesus didn't really uh, approve of that. So where do we go from here? We can have such terrible disasters that have uh, happened in our lives. And we can think to ourselves, oh no, this terrible disaster is completely destroyed thing. What's going to happen? God makes new pathways and new avenues in spite of sins and failures we may have chosen for his glory. 
Your next step is to call 570-362-7782. If you are local, I'd love to get a coffee with you. If you're not, I'd love to talk with you over the phone. Every Thursday at 5.30 p.m., we are out in the Wilkes-Barre Public Square for a street meeting. And then at 6.30 following, we have a Bible study at Abide Coffee Shop in downtown Wilkes-Barre. And Sunday at 4 p.m., we have another street meeting. You are invited to all of it. We'll hope to see you there.